That's, those are my two benefits. And then hopefully I won't spill the water. So, zeal or lack thereof. How many of us feel the zeal of the Lord all the time? Oh, good. I'm not alone. Um, I do not. Um, more and more, I feel, as I get older, I feel like, I don't feel like I feel lack of zeal more, but I feel like I'm more aware of it. I'm not really sure what that has to do with, but. Uh, so I've wanted to study the Psalms and what they say about lack of zeal um, for a while. I picked a few, and we're going to go through each one of these line by line. No, no we're not. But what I did is I went through all of these psalms except for 119. Uh, I did go through each one of them very detailed and pulled out where the author was expressing grief, where the author was expressing hope, where the author was pleading with the Lord, and then I've pulled those out into separate categories, um, which we will go through, and I'll highlight some of, the, uh, some of the verses that I feel like illustrate those categories as best we can. So first of all, in dealing with grief, um, and I'm using the word grief as opposed to depression or anxiety, uh, but know that generally I mean lack of zeal, but lack of zeal gets tired. I, I get tired of saying that. So when we deal with grief, I think one of the big things is honesty. Honesty with ourselves and honesty with others. Uh, we have verses in the scriptures like Philippians 4, uh, 6 through 7, uh, which you see the first part quoted here as, be anxious for nothing. And then we stop there, and then we put on a front with those around us, and we act like we have it all together, act like we have the zeal of the Lord when we don't. Um, and we forget the rest of the verse. goes on and says, But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So I, what I see in this verse and what I see in the, rest, in the Psalms as I went through them is an emphasis on prayer, supplication, thanksgiving um, in the midst of anxiety, depression, grief um, as a way to... as a way to get back to the zeal of the Lord, as a way to... Um, I don't want to say cope, because God's not in the, isn't in the business of coping. He's in the business of fixing. Um, but sometimes it feels like coping. Um, so, the opposites of honesty, we end up with indifference, busyness, stoicism, niceness, ignorance, self-deception, denial. Uh, and these are these are a front, right? Oftentimes, as we, as we pretend to have it together, we, we're, we're nicer than we would be if we were being honest. 
Um, we're indifferent to our own pain and suffering, and well, as well as the pain and suffering of those around us. We make ourselves busy. Um, my big one is stoicism. I'll just act like everything's fine when it's not. Um, I think as I'm realizing that that's not the best way to go about things, that's where I'm starting to become more aware of um, grief in my own life. And the problem with all of these is they're a reliance on self and they're denying trust in the Lord. Right? We're not trusting in the Lord when we're indifferent, busy, basically put everything else, you know, put up a front when we're not being honest with ourselves and with God and with others. Uh, we're not trusting in the Lord. We're not trusting in his promises, uh, which we'll see is not the way the psalmists are. Um, all right. So grief. As you can see, I have a number of categories here. Um, and these are all pulled out of, of those psalms, like I said, that I showed earlier. Uh, first one is the past. The past has a lot to do with our grief, right? We can be grieving over our own sin. The psalmist talks about their strength failing because of their iniquity. The past involves other people's sin against us. Um, we see that throughout the Psalms. He's talking about his enemies and how they've come against him and um, how everybody's out to get him. Um, I know that in, in the work that that we do as we go into the juvenile detention facility, um, we see this one a lot. We see the sin of others against the kids. We see that, that stress and that anxiety that others bring with their, their trauma, you know, that's inflicted, the, the words that are said, the um, unrealistic expectations that are placed on them from early on, uh, you know, I've seen, yeah, it's, it, anyway, um, the nagging of the past. So we can, sometimes we feel this, sometimes we remember uh, the, the good times, and we wonder where, you know, where those are at. Uh, David writes it one time, he's remembering the time that he was able to lead the people with joy and praise. And in a season of his life when he wasn't able to do that, they brought him down. Right, so we have a tendency to we can dwell on the way things were. Sometimes it's just mental exhaustion. Sometimes it's just problems after problems stacking up. Uh, Psalm sixty nine one through two I have here says, "Save me, O God, for the water, waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me." The imagery of water overwhelming the waves crashing against the person just is this imagery is throughout the Psalms over and over again. And I, I pulled this one out in particular because I, I felt like it hit a lot of the areas uh, all in one quick passage. And it talks about drowning, you know, and our sorrows, uh, the busyness of life, the just the weight of the world on our shoulders, the, the weight of things we have to get done or things we haven't been able to get done or 
um, you know, as, as a parent, the stress of my kids and just wondering, uh, are they going to turn out? You know, just, just the weight of that, it just, it, it feels sometimes like you just got water up your neck and you're just, you're barely, you're barely able to take a breath. Um, you know, the psalmist talks here about the sinking in the deep mire, which I, I get this like picture of like just, you know, just trudging along and it's just, you're just barely able to take a step. It just, everything just seems like it's in your way and you just, um, you just feel stuck, right? Not able to stand, the, again, the weight, the pressures. Um, and I, the, the funny thing about teaching on, on this topic is uh, I get really anxious doing this, um, th- leading up to it and, and during and all that stuff. At one point in my office this week, it, it kind of dawned on me that I was nowhere near ready. And uh, I, I literally just, I'm sitting at my desk and this is just, uh, it's like, I just slowly was just sinking down. Like literally just, I just felt everything was heavy on me. And, uh, and, and, you know, and the irony of it being that this is the topic and it's exactly what I was feeling. Like I said, this has been hitting me more and more and so I've been wanting to do this study. Um, yeah, I think, we've, I think we've all been there. I, I, at least I think so. Um, I don't know if you've ever like literally felt the weight like that or you just really can't even sit up anymore, but um, yeah. can't get your head above water. Again, he talks about the deep waters, floods overflowing. Talks about the, the Lord just hammering wave upon wave. Yep, physical exhaustion. You know, it's not just the mental weight, just the mental uh, stress and strain. You know, in this case, it's you know, bones are in agony, just physically in pain from anguish, faint. You know, can't even face life. Um, I see that one. I see that a lot. Again, you know, when we're talking to the kids and they're their depression hits them, and um, I'm reminded of a, this, there's this one kid that, that we see, and he was in this last week, and um, I think a few months ago when he was in, you know, to, to give you an idea of the kind of trauma that some of the kids face, uh, he told in a very stoic tone, very stoic demeanor, I'd say, about his, uh, his house getting shot up. Um, and it just was as if it was, those, it was, if it was nothing. It's like, wow, you know, that must have been really hard. And he's like, well, I don't know. This week, he was, he was definitely aching physically. You know, as he was not able, able to stand up. He was, uh, he'd been suicidal. Um, He's just, you know, 
physically just groaning um, as he faces consequences for his actions now, the trauma of the past, you know. The psalmist talks about his eyes wasting away, his soul wasting away, his body wasting away, over and over, strength failing. Um, It's just this deep, deep uh, depression. Just can't even move. (sighs) Which is often a result of or leads to insatiable crying. Um, I'm not a big crier. It's just not something that happens. Maybe I would have been if if I'd have seen it more, <laughs> maybe, uh, I don't know. I live with a crier, a couple of them. Um, so I see this. Um, but the psalmist, the psalmist is a crier. David was a crier. David cried out to the Lord. David talks about here, you know, for I've eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. Actually, I shouldn't attribute that to David. I'm not even sure that David wrote that one. Um, I didn't put, put it in the note here. So, um, But he does talk about crying. He talks about crying a lot. He talks about uh, flooding his bed at night um, with his tears. He talks about drenching his couch during the day, just crying nonstop. And then crying out to the Lord. Right? This... This Psalm 102 that, that I read here, it, you know, it talks about eating ashes like bread. And I, I read that and I went, what? That's weird. Did you burn the toast because you forgot about it? No. In their mourning, they would put the ashes on their head, sackcloth on their body. I don't know. That's weird. I'm glad we don't do that anymore. But this talks about eating his sorrow like his sorrow is so deep that he's eating it, you know, probably literally eating some ashes, right? He's got the ashes on his head. They say fall down and he's eating the bread. Um, there's no escaping the pain, right? His drink, he's crying. His, his beverage is just filled with his tears because he can't, can't stop crying. Just deep, deep anguish. which kind of leads into insomnia, right? I used to be able to sleep anytime, place, but not so much. The worries of, the, of, this, of this life, um, the concerns for my kids, concerns for when I have to teach, <laughs> keep me up at night, you know? The suffering kept the psalmist up. Again, this one, that, you know, in Psalm 102, he goes on and says, you know, I lie awake. I'm like a sparrow alone on a housetop. I, just, I really like that imagery. You, know, you think about um, when you go by, like, I, I, think like a, like, I think if you were to rewrite that, it'd be like a sparrow alone on a power line. You know, that'd be today. Because you just look around, you know, you're driving down the road or whatever, and you got just, they're just, covered in the birds, right? 
And then imagine there's just one and not another bird in sight. And that's what it feels like, you know, in a house at night when you're the only one awake and everybody's sleeping. It just feels vast and empty and um, alone, at least to me. So... This does get better. I know this is really a downer right now, but it it does get better. So he feels alone in the world. This is by far the the greatest, well, probably second to what he feels. You know, it says, your fierce wrath, in Psalm 88, it says, your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They came, came around me all day long like water. They engulfed me altogether Loved ones and friend, loved one and friend, you have put far from me, and my acquaintances into darkness. Right? This is. Job could have written this right as as wave after wave of loss of loved ones of friends. The psalmist doesn't even have an acquaintance at this point. Right? There's nobody. They're just completely isolated. Um, Psalm eighty-eight is interesting. Uh, beyond just this, the whole thing, he's attributing all of this anguish to the Lord. That's how far gone he is. That's how much pain he's feeling. Is it's, it's you have done this. Why have you done this? Right. Um, over and over again, the psalmist is feeling oppressed. You know, again, pressed in from all sides from their enemies. Um, our enemies, I don't know. Most of the time, aren't physical. You know, but certainly our thoughts can feel oppressive and, and push in on us and uh, make us feel alone. Uh, we can feel like we're the only one going through it, um, especially with the lack of honesty that we have as far as um, people not sharing their burdens with one another. We can feel alone, feel like uh, we're the only one going through it, uh, afraid to share. Uh, this person is, the, the psalmist is, says is, he's contemptible to his neighbors, right? Forgotten by him at best, slandered at worst. Stranger among their own family, they don't even, they're not even known by their family. Because, or at least that's how they feel, right? We can feel that way. Nobody knows what we're going through, nobody can feel it. Um... Then alone in the cosmos or far from God. This comes up in pain and suffering. God, where are you? Yeah. What do you mean by it? Make them feel like what? Alone in the world or the alone or separate from God? Granted, you know, 
what we choose to listen to. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, other people's problems which don't belong to us can be very overwhelming. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. So, alone in the world. That's all right. That's all right. I'm already thrown off course. My own head does that. So, don't worry about it. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll get to the positives here pretty soon. Yeah. All right. So again, something else that comes up in the Psalms over and over again is this feeling distant from God. Um, you know, again, in Psalm 88, but to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? Right? Sometimes it feels like God is hiding from us. It feels like God's not hearing us. Um, you know, in the... In, in a the famous psalm, you know, the, as, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants after you. Just this, this thirsting for God. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I looked up uh, the, that panting word, and the only other place it's used is it talks about animals panting after water in the midst of essentially a forest fire kind of a situation. Like, where there's just, it's complete desert, completely drought, like... Um, needing water for their very life. And that's how it is, you know, in the midst of our, of our trials is we're feeling God's distance. We're, we're desiring him, our, our soul is desiring him uh, as though for life, because it is. Um, and I meant to go into a whole diatribe of that we don't actually have a soul, that we are a soul right here, but I'm, I'm not going to have time for that. And then finally, at its deepest point, grief can feel like it's near death. Right? The psalmist, over and over again, especially when it's David, talks about being at the hand of his enemies, that they want to kill him. But here, again in Psalm 88, for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to the grave. I am counted with those who go down to the pit I am like a man who has no strength, adrift among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and who are cut off from your hand. You have laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness and depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. Again, that imagery of the waves just crashing, right? Is, the psalmist is expressing that overwhelmed feeling. Right? He talks about uh, just full of troubles. This, again, feeling like he's near death, that he's just walking by the grave. Um, no strength. Wandering aimlessly adrift. Um, sometimes you just feel like that. Like you're just grieving so much that you're just kind of numb and you're just kind of like walking through life, going through the motions. Um, 
I did that for a while, a couple years back. I just felt, everything just felt really hopeless and I was really struggling. And uh, I wish I had, <laughs> had this, done this study before. Um, yeah, but you can just, you just feel aimless. And then, you know, forgotten by God and getting in the, the, the weight of God's judgment just crashing down. But facing grief. So again, as, the, as, that, as the verse above said, you know, be anxious for nothing but in, but in prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, present our, our concerns to the Lord. So let's go, let's hit those real quick here. Oh, well, actually, first, without God. There's different ways of, of facing grief worldly. As the Proverbs say, a fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. So we can just express our feelings just helplessly, right? We can just throw those out to those around us and um, just rant endlessly. And it's, it's interesting that if you look at the psalm, sometimes it feels, especially 88, it feels like it's just ranting, but he's ranting to the Lord. Um, and though we need to, ex- we need to exp- express our grief one to another, we need to make sure that we're doing it purposefully, that we're doing it with hopes of reconciliation with the Lord, that we're not just throwing out self-centered opinions um, that are completely devoid of reality. Um, or at least when we do, we need to be ready for some rebuke. Another option is, is turning inwardly. <laughs> Psalmist in, in his downcastness, you know, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? Right? This guy, how, how long, you know, he's, again, this is in the midst of crying out to God, like, hear me, you know, hear my prayer, answer my prayer. And he's like, all I have is myself. I just have counsel in myself right now, you know, and it's sorrow every day. And that's exactly what happens when we're just looking for uh, counsel in ourselves, because, again, you know, uh, counsel in myself, you know, it looks like self-pity. It looks like, um, you know, it sounds silly, but it, it can be playing the sad song over again. Um, for some reason, our self loves that stuff that makes us more sad. I don't know. It's weird. Uh, misery loves company, even if it's yourself, I guess. Uh, the psalmist also talks about self-medication. It says, my heart is stricken and withered like grass so that I forget to eat my bread because of the sound of my groaning, my bones cling to my skin, right? So in his grief, he's going without food. He's not eating. Um, For some, I don't have this problem, right? If I'm stressed, I'm eating. I know some people are stressed or depressed or whatever, and they don't eat. Um, Not my issue, but... I can relate to the, what the psalmist is saying, right? That, that you feel stricken and, and all you want to do is bring yourself comfort, whatever that looks like. Um, I think I, I texted Janessa today as I was studying for this and just like, ah, I'm like, I want a donut so bad. Uh, I did not give in. It always makes me feel worse afterwards because then I also feel like a failure on top of still being stressed. Um, and that's the reality of it. Like, you just, when we medicate, either, you know, and they say starving or eating, or um, I think, you know, we can do it by buying things. Some people go on shopping sprees to, in their stress. There's drugs. 
Um, of course, you know, again, doing the juvenile ministry that we do, we see self-medication with drugs and alcohol a lot. Um, I think we can, even in the body, I think, you know, I think we can see some of that. Um, you know, I have legal drugs up there because, I don't know if you knew this, but since 2012, marijuana has been legal. And uh, for those over 21, lots of people self-medicate with marijuana. Um, illegal drugs, of course, and then alcohol. So, and there's others too. I mean, we just basically, you can basically say self-medicating with insert your addiction here, whatever that may be. Some people it's loneliness. Um, some people it's work. That's looking for counseling yourself though. So prayer, turn towards God. All right, starting to look up here. So the number one thing that we see in the Psalms as far as like turning towards God with our grief is just be real. Just be real. I mean, if you're angry with him, let him know. You know, when you're, if you feel like he's distant, let him know. Just talk to him, you know. Um, recognize your own failings before him. Psalm 119, you know, we don't, we don't think of Psalm 119 as, as, a, as a grief psalm so much as one that just exalts us that we should be praying more, not that we should be praying more, but that we should be studying the word more. That's what we see it as typically. But, um, you know, Psalm, 19, psalm 119 is, is not so much an exhortation to be in the word more, but is an evidence of what your prayer life looks like when you've already been in the word. And so here he is in 18 to 20. It says, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Right? So this is somebody who already knows the law. They already know what the word says, but they're blinded by their, their depression, their anxiety, their grief. They're just, they can't see the promises anymore. Open my eyes that I could see these wonderful things. I know there's wonderful things in there. Open my eyes so that I can see them. You know, I'm a stranger on the earth. Don't hide your commandments from me. Right? Again, so alone, like still feeling so isolated that he can't even see uh, the commands of Scripture, the, the hope that's in there. And then my soul breaks, breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. Um, you know, again, this, we can feel the wrong judgments from God, right? We can feel condemned, even though we know that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. We can still feel condemned because we're missing the, what God's judgments are really like in the midst of our trials. So we need to pray and ask the Lord to open our eyes that we can see these things, see his, his word um, and the hope that's in it. Yeah, I'm not talking about physical illness. I'm, talk, I'm talking about... I, I yeah. Yeah. I'm aware, that, but that's not, that's not what's in context here. So I'm talking about, I'm talking about using substances to actually, in, instead of focusing on the Lord... 
using substances as a, as a crutch, as a way to avoid actually facing the Lord, as a way of avoiding actually getting in the Word and understanding. So that's different than um, an actual physical ailment and taking medication. You know, if I get a headache, I don't, I don't seek the Lord more. I take medication, sleep, so that I can focus on Him better. I mean, it's, it's different. So, all right, but I'm going to get back. I'm going to get back on track here. So, supplication, Psalm 142. I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before Him. I declare before Him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then You knew my path in the way in which I walk. Right. So, supplication. We. We, again, this idea, we need to let God know what we're dealing with. We need to let him know what we're facing. Um, now, this is the part that's really bizarre to me because it's not like he doesn't already know, right? Because God's not going to learn anything by us telling him. But he wants us to share with him. He wants us to confess our struggles with him. He wants us to uh, confess our grieve, griefs and grievances to him. And then he will help us to walk on the path that, that he has for us, right? Um, yeah. And the reason, you know, we make the supplication to the Lord is, one, you know, he is capable, right? The psalmist talks about God as a rock, it, you know, that can't be moved, this, this stronghold. He talks about him being a refuge. He talks about him being a you know, he's looking for a house of safety, a house of rescue, and it talks about God, and then you go down to the end of the, the psalm, and it talks about God providing a safe city, right? So we're just looking for a safe house, and God's got a whole safe city for us, because um, God is capable of, of helping us in our trials. Um, he's capable because of the past, right? The, the psalmist constantly is going back to what the Lord has already done, and it's good for us to remember what the Lord has done in Scripture, what the Lord has done in our own lives, and when we're faced with feeling distant, when we're faced with uh, just being down, to just um, meditate on those things and remember uh, the goodness of the Lord and the things that he has done. The Lord hears, even though sometimes it feels like he doesn't. The Lord is hearing. It says that the Lord hears the poor, the poor and he responds to our prayer, you know, as we cry out to him with honesty and vulnerability, he hears us. And he provides leadership. Psalm 43, oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle, right? So he's distant from the Lord, and he knows that this idea of bringing me to your holy hill, to your tabernacle, is to be brought close to the Lord. And how does he want him to do that? He wants him to do it by bringing him his light, his truth, which are um, his word, right? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. His word is the truth, right? This is, again, this, this cry to the Lord to bring about guidance, um, he's capable, he has it, it's already there, it's all written, but sometimes, you know, there's a, I don't know if you noticed, but there's a lot of pages in your Bible, and sometimes you just don't know necessarily where you need to go, and, um, but you ask the Lord, and he will guide your steps. Um, I, I came across this quote in this, and I, 
I thought this was really a good reminder. Where it says, because all of God's words come with authority, then even when God's promises and then even when God promises mercy and help, or reveals something of His character, or tells a story of what He did, such words come with, char- with the character of a command. You must believe, take it to heart, and live out the, the implications. Right. So, even God's promises. You know, this is in the context of Psalm 119, especially when it's just trusting in the Lord. Your, you know, your promises are good. Your commandments, you know, I treasure in my heart. These things, like even, even the stories, even the the God's deliverance of Israel over and over. You know, we can, um, we can take those promises. You know, not promises to Israel as promises to us, but we can see God's faithfulness in that. We can believe in His faithfulness, and we can live it out according to the promises that He's also given us. Um, so, and we can be we can be thankful for God's mercy. Over again, I, I mean, if there was an, if I had a, if my software made it easy, I would have done a word map to see how many times mercy shows up in all of these psalms, because mercy, loving kindness, um, over and over and over. I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Right? So in this one psalm, we see, you know, I have trusted in the past. Uh, My heart shall rejoice. It's kind of present. I will sing in the future, and then because he has dealt bountifully, again in the past, and this idea of God's mercy showing up over and over, and that it's, it was applicable in the past, we've seen it, it's applicable in the, in the present, I can trust it for the future um, because of what he's done in the past, and it's just his mercy over and over again, uh, his ability to save, um, and, I, and I, I love how often this salvation comes up in the Psalms, and, and I, I hovered my mouse over it, and I went, oh, what, you know, what word is that? And uh, it's Yeshua, it's, it's Jesus. That's a, that's, essentially, that's the word. Um, it's his salvation. It's not, but we're not talking about necessarily salvation from sins in this context, but we're talking about salvation from misery and pain, um, that God pulling us through, God pulling us out of it. Uh, and the psalmist is just rejoicing in that over and over again. And again, there in Psalm 69, you know, for the Lord hears the poor, and he does not despise the prisoners. Uh, despise his prisoners. So it's, you know, we can be, you know, obviously you can be, you can be a, a, a literal prisoner, and we've seen him set those free in the New Testament, um, but also, you know, a prisoner to this grief, right? You can just be so trapped by it, um, and, and, and he doesn't despise it. He, you know, he's there to rescue in his mercy. Then we can be thankful for his sovereignty, Psalm 31 here. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you, in the presence of the sons of men. In case you wondered where Paul got it for Romans 8, where he says um, that he works all things together for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, um, dot, 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 to be conformed to the image of his son. Uh, Here you go, right? God has already or, uh, foreordained goodness for those who fear him. You know, he's already, 
he's already prepared goodness for us to walk in for those, who, for those of us who choose to trust in him. You know, we can be thankful that God doesn't forget us, you know, because uh, if God plans something, it's going to happen. And he's already got these things uh, laid up for us to do. So finally, here, um, you know, I, I, again, I feel like a lot of times we can feel like if we are honest about how we're feeling, that we're, when we're feeling down, that it can be perceived as a lack of trust in the Lord. And the opposite couldn't be more true, especially as we read the Psalms. We see honesty with ourselves. We see honesty with God, honesty with others in this constant, you know, down and up and down and up as, um, as the emotional roller coaster goes. You know, um, I kind of like had this picture of these psalms as I was going into it that you would see expression of, of depression or whatever at the beginning and then it's always joyful at the end. And I see that. There's that, there's that case sometimes. Um, psalm 88, though, for instance, has a little bit of hope at the first line. Pfft, down the rest of the time. Um, other ones, oftentimes, oh, this is a terrible situation. Oh, I'm, I'm just down. Oh, why this? Why that? Oh, but I trust in you. I trust in you. You're great. You've done all these things. Oh, why am I down? Why am I down? Oh, you're great. And it's just like back and forth, back and forth. Um, you know, and, and so many of them written by David, right? So David didn't like feel this one time, write out a bunch of psalms about how down he was, right? But this is a reoccurring thing in his life. He's down, he's up, he's down, you know, and, uh, and, I, and I don't think that any of us is better than David. I don't think any of us is, a, is more faithful than David was, you know? Um, so I don't know why we should expect our life to be any different and why do we pretend like it is? So frailty does not equal lack of trust. Um, a willingness to stop being the tough guy, reach out to God, reach out to others, get in the scriptures. Um, that's, the, that's where the true trust comes in, right? If you really trust the scriptures, if you really trust the Lord to be there, then you'll be honest with him, honest with yourself and honest with others. Because uh, he also, um, I was just going through the Psalms and the psalmists are always alone. So there's not a lot of reaching out to others in the Psalms. When he does, nobody's there. Um, we don't see that in the New Testament. Um, I was really trying to stay focused on the Psalms, so I didn't get into that much. But I, you know, the, the, the New Testament is all about one anothering. It's all about bearing one another's burdens. It's um, sharing one another, encouraging one another, um, you know, comforting others with the comfort with which we've been comforted. Um, if we're not reaching out to others, people can't comfort us, right? Um, I think that some of the deepest wounds that we face are, are best healed by helping others in the exact same situation. And it's, uh, it can be a waste of that struggle to not bless others with it. So reach out to God, reach out to others. And there we go. So, anyway, all right. I did not pray when I opened. Oh, well, we'll pray now. <sighs> Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you, and Lord, I thank you that
you are always there. Lord, that you've given us your word. Lord, you've given us such amazing examples of honesty and just raw emotion. Um, Lord, that you speak to the troubles of life, that uh, you don't just tell us to put on a happy face. Lord, you don't call us to be stoics where we just pretend like everything's bad and then realize how good we have it but to actually walk through life, really reach out to you. Lord, I thank you so much um, that you are a God who cares. Lord, I pray for each one here, Lord, as, as we go through our own struggles, Lord, that we would remember that you're there, that we would uh, reach out to you, reach out to your body. Lord, bless us this week and uh, be with Pastor Ben and Shandy as they uh, travel and deal with their own stresses right now. and. Um, Lord, bring them back healthy and refreshed.